Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today's episode is going to be a massive treat for all of you. Uh, Today, I'm interviewing a giant of the faith, a hero of the gospel, both in the United States and all over the world. And you've probably have never heard of him. Uh, I'm talking with a, a gentleman named Al Henson, who for the last 40 years has been planting a church, uh, making disciples, equipping people for the work of the ministry, as he will describe helping people live out the gospel and not just preach the gospel. He's been doing that in the metro area of Nashville, Tennessee for 40 years, seeing schools started for underprivileged children, caring for refugees since the 80s. Really an incredible, incredible soul, but he's also for decades been serving in some of the most unreached places in Asia where he's seen the church be persecuted. He's equipped people to to really, uh, nationals in all of these countries, to really establish uh, centers for training people up in the gospel and planting dozens and dozens and dozens of churches over the last 40 years, uh, which all kind of led him to establishing a a ministry to help even care for some of the the widows and the children, the brothers, the sisters of of people that have died because of proclaiming of the gospel, but also for, for children who are being rescued out of sex and human trafficking. He has a remarkable story, but also a wisdom and a longevity about all the things that we talk about all the time. He's been living out the stuff that we describe. Uh, longer than my parents have ever even been married. So long before I was born, he's been living this stuff out. Truly wonderful conversation. I was really blessed, uh, ministered to, encouraged by him. So please, yeah, stick around, enjoy this, allow your heart to be moved and challenged in the gospel and challenged for the mission of God all over the world. Also, uh, if you're interested, he'll mention it at the end, but If you want to learn more about what he's doing and even see your missional community get connected and kind of adopt one of these homes where these children live where and they want to see it transform into not just uh, giving financially, but really being invested in the lives of these kids and the people running these homes and and to, to really do life on life discipleship, even from the other side of the world. I really encourage you to, to take the chance to find out more. This is a super relational ministry. You go to their website, you send them an email, and then they're just going to talk to you. Uh, it's really possible for your missional community to even uh, really be that wraparound kind of global mission with one of these homes in Laos or Cambodia or Thailand and many others. The website is CompassionateHope.org. So it's CompassionateHope.org. Check them out. And without anything else to say, let's jump into today's episode. This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast, Al Henson. Uh, thanks for, for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Brad, and I'm, I'm glad to be here with you in this podcast. Yeah, this is a, an exciting podcast for me because of your work with Compassionate Hope. 
where you guys are doing things all over the world. And I've heard a lot about your story, but our, our listeners haven't. So, so maybe we can, we can start there. It's hard to explain a whole life story in a few minutes, but, but what's your story? What's God been doing in your life uh, these years? Well, th- thanks, Brad. I, I'm the consequence of uh, a mother's prayer. Uh, my mom, one night, many, many years ago, 70 years ago or so, she listening to Billy Graham. And I remember her telling the story later. She said, I wish I was a man so I could preach the gospel like he does. That was back when they didn't, uh, well, women didn't think they could be a part of being mission. But uh, mm. so she prayed God would give her a son. And God gave her me. So she tells me that I was in the womb. She was worshiping God, singing, putting her hands over, praying, reading me the Bible. So, Brad, by the time I was nine, I had read through the Bible about five times. I preached my first message at nine, felt the call of God in the ministry, and felt that secret and went, in, internally, I went into a battle with God. Hmm. And my we were raised very poor, and this was the way I battled God. I became the, the Sunday school brat. I worked in the youth department. I, I served, served, served trying to please God, but God didn't want my service first. He wanted my heart. Hmm. And I began to read books by Hudson Taylor and Andrew Murray and Watchman Nee and many of the great missionaries. And all during my teen years, at 21, God won the battle. And it was 3 a.m. on a Monday morning. I... I don't use the word surrender because the words I used to God that that morning as I was just couldn't, I was restless and couldn't sleep. I said, God, tonight, this morning, Al Henson dies. Hmm. My plans and my purposes and my life, and I want to take up your plans and your purposes uh, for my life, and I want you who are my life to become my living. Uh, went, Went from there, had a degree in engineering, and uh, went from there and got a master's degree and then planted a church in Antioch, part of Nashville, Tennessee. Planted and pastored the same church for 35 years. And out of that church, we had many church plants. But from the very beginning, my heart was for the nations. And my one of my motivational spiritual gifts is mercy. And so about seven or eight years ago, as I had been doing a lot of work with the persecuted church in Southeast Asia, in the country of Laos and Thailand and Myanmar and Cambodia, I felt a a burden of God, heart of God for the least of these. Hmm. And so with the nationals and all that I've been working with for three decades, I approached them and said, "Would would you like to do something? With these boys and girls, especially those involved in human trafficking, sex sex trafficking, labor trafficking. And so that was the birth of Compassion and Hope Foundation about eight years ago. Hmm. And uh, the mission of Compassion and Hope Foundation is to rescuing the least of these, one child, one leader, one disciple at a time. And we're doing that through... Uh, homes of hope and villages of hope in which we fundamentally, foundationally see each of these as a, is like an Antioch in the Bible or Jerusalem, a, a gospel center. Hmm. 
that's some of my story, Brad. Man, that's uh, that's really beautiful. And yeah, I like how you said that you came to this point where you didn't just surrender. You said, I'm dead. My, my old identity is dead and now I'm alive to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. such a profound part of discipleship, such a profound part of the conversion that we have or that has to undergo. In reality, Brad, that is conversion. You know, even our, our water baptism, that's what we're picturing, mm-hmm. you know, buried in the likeness of his death so that we might then be raised in the, in the likeness of his resurrection. I, I call it living the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Paul speaks so much of this in Second Corinthians 4 and verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. He'll talk about it three different times. Like He'll say things like, I'm dead. Uh, that I might be resurrected, mm-hmm. Bear, and even in Romans six, buried again in the likeness of His death, that I might be raised in the likeness of His resurrection. Mm-hmm. So for me, since that time, Brad, it's been, it's become just a, just a D, part of my DNA to think in terms of the old Al is died in Christ, mm-hmm. that the new, the new creation. Uh, my personality and this beautiful creation that was enslaved to sin now is now raised up in the spirit in Christ, empowered by the spirit to uh, to have the thoughts of God, the mind of God, and to carry out the will of God and with the power of God. Yeah, which is transformation, not just uh, yes, kind of waiting around for for heaven to come or death to come, so then we can you know use that ticket of salvation or something like that. But, but what you're describing yeah, so, is the transformative power of Jesus. Yeah. So many people in, in America, I think in our churches are, there's so much conformity taking place. Mm. Uh, we just conform and Christ didn't come to live in us, to conform us. He, he came to live in us, to transform us into, into his image. And this, you know, for, for, to be a learner, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, this is our daily way of living. Mm. You know, Paul says, I, I die daily. And, you know, that's what he meant. And uh, so to truly be a disciple of Christ and to that brother or sister who may be listening, we come into Christ, into the gospel, and we walk with Christ out into a dying world. In the gospel, we're actually gospel livers. Mm-hmm. Those that are dying, that uh, that we may live as risen ones mm-hmm. for his will and his plans and his purpose in, in, in relationships, in our community and in our in our town. And Brad, this led me, you know, not only into pastoring and into church planting, but it led me to the nations because God's heart is is always not only for the neighbor across the street, but it's for the, the the person on the other side of the world. Right. And one of the foundational principles that God gave me in mission work, though, was, for example, if we take the, the country of, of Thailand, uh, the thought that God gave me was, in Thailand, this is my kingdom, and I will build my kingdom through the Thai people not through the American missionary. And I want you to go to find my servants and to serve my servants Mm. that they might be equipped and encouraged and strengthened that they may carry out the work of the kingdom. Mm. And what I've seen through the years 
directly, indirectly, as we've seen in these countries, thousands of churches planted and hundreds of thousands into the kingdom, training centers, Bible schools. It's just amazing what God can do through people who are living, walking out the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, and so you, you've been doing that work for for decades. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, my first trip over would have been in uh, 1980. Hmm. <laughs> so it be 40 years, and 39 years thus far. So Compassion and Hope, though, was birthed around those nationals, with those nationals, right. about eight years ago. And actually what we were, were, we were doing, we were marrying the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Hmm. You know, the Great Commandment is to love your neighbor. The Great Commission is go you to and make disciples, go into the world and make disciples, yeah. which is disciple-making movements, church-planting movements. And so we were marrying that with the Great Commandment specifically to the least of these. Yeah. But even in the even the least of these, we still are thinking about how do we rescue them, help them to find healing, help them to find Christ, and help them to d- become disciples and mature to become the leaders that God intended them to be in their villages, in their region, and in their communities. Hmm. So essentially, you began to see like not only developing these equipping centers and, and seeing the, the kingdom of God being built through the Thai people, you began to also ask how can we, we, we see not just churches formed and churches planted disciples multiplied, but disciples live out the command of Jesus to love <laughs> neighbor, especially the least. Yeah, I, yes, I think that, that sometimes we think only about preaching the gospel. Mm. But if we, but we we shouldn't be preaching what we're not living. Mm. And when one is living the gospel, he's he's empowered by the Spirit, which he's driven then by the love of love love of God. First of all, love for God and for His kingdom, but also love for people. Mm. And even Jesus, if you watch the way he carried out his ministry. He had a he had a twofold ministry. His ministry was what I call uh, to first to the multitude, and and that basically was a great commandment kind of ministry, hmm. um, feeding feeding the hungry, healing the sick, uh, caring for the needs of people. So he had a ministry to the multitudes, and then out of that he also had though had a very hands on follow me kind of ministry to to the few mm. in which he was he was trying to make of them disciples there was the 12 and then the the 70 and the 120 and then the 500 mm. but i see ministry I, I see christ and his gospel i see the i see living and walking that out both as great commandment which is love and great commission which is to, to proclaim the good news of God, the love of God, which is the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Hmm. So interesting. I, I actually, I've never heard people described in multitudes that way. I think usually when I hear people describe the multitudes, they're describing big Sunday morning things. Like, well, yeah, Jesus did, you know, big crowd things, you know, getting people together, big crowds, and then he had his disciples that he made. 
But I think what you're, I was just listening to the, uh, I listen every morning to the Bible. Uh, that makes me sound spiritual, but I live in LA, so it's like a lot of traffic. But uh, <laughs> but today I was listening to the Gospel of Matthew, and that's exactly that's exactly how he was operating. Was the as you were saying, caring for the sick, the the blind, the lame, the oppressed, and then with his disciples, really pouring into them, and 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 that's just kind of you know I think I'm struck here by yeah the the longevity and the and the the learning that you've had over decades of not just doing something in Nashville Tennessee and seeing churches started in the states but also just the longevity of of ministry in Southeast Asia as well and I think I think Brad it's important you know you mentioned the poor the oppressed the, the hurting the abandoned but if you if you look at the ministry of Jesus it was not only were they a part of the multitude, but, you know, he went to Zacchaeus' house. Right. Zacchaeus was a prominent, successful tax collector. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went to his house. And so you see Christ uh, both uh, to the uh, the great commandment, building relationships uh, with people of means. And sometimes I found that the most needy people around are those are the sometimes the loneliest people around are those who mm-hmm. who quote in our culture are financially or successful mm-hmm. and so so often I see churches only thinking about how do we reach the poor and the needy, and obviously the poor and the needy tend to generally speaking have a greater sense of their need, mm-hmm. whereas those that are rich or those that are successful. That somewhat blinds them of their of their inner need, but God is working in, in and around their lives. So what I've learned to do is to practice life on a day to day basis. Where I am, where am I going, mm-hmm. and being aware of opportunities to start a relationship, build a relationship, to reach and touch to touch someone's heart or life. Hmm. One question I have to that is: is how have you? you've been in a, in a position or a, a place of leadership in, in these different organizations and, and the servant oriented leadership, but, but how do you disciple the people like within your church or how have you over the years to, to also view their lives as not just speaking the gospel, but living the gospel? I've always tried to be able to, when I look over the course of my the, a week or the course of a month, I always like to look at, do I have one or two or three people that I'm actually pouring into their lives, what I call heart-to-heart, life-on-life discipleship? Hmm. Normally that means uh, at least uh, a meeting with them that week or a telephone conversation with them, giving them a passage to read, study through, talk about, and if they live in my area, then actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity in Antioch here to to see a man come to Christ. And then I took a young man that I've been discipling for several years. I took him with me to visit this gentleman in his home and meet his family. And, and so I had a brother with me that I was discipling. The second thing, because of of somewhat who I am, I'm always trying to think, what is, where's the group of people in a classroom setting that I'm also trying to do some Bible teaching 
and I can't do as much hands hands on, uh, but actually encouraging and strengthening and being a part of their discipleship process, hmm. uh, both with uh, one and then with sometimes with uh, a group. You know, hmm. it's like this in Antioch. There were there's as many as uh, twenty thousand Filipinos here. Hmm. But there was no Filipino church. And so I began to disciple two business, Filipino businessmen. And then three years ago, they, with my encouragement, birthed the Filipino church. And now this Saturday morning from 8 o'clock till 1130, I will be at one of their homes with a group of um, 25 or 30 men and women and, and teenagers in their church that, that are interested in being leaders, servant hmm. leaders. So I'll be with them that way. So that's the way I carry out my discipleship. Hmm. The one thing I've always been very careful about is because I, as a leader of organizations, we can just be leading the organization. Hmm. I never want to get away from hands-on, touching the least of these, the needy, hands-on personal discipleship as well as small group discipleship. Hmm. That's so good. And I think, yeah, one of the things that, that I've heard about your story is how your church really has embodied, embodied that locally in Tennessee, caring for discipling others, even caring for refugees and all of these things locally, like a really, yeah, just a, a wealth of both preaching the gospel and living the gospel, and then also doing that internationally as well and and starting even founding compassionate hope uh what do you what do you feel like is the link there between the local reality and the global reality well christ loves the world and we should be living and proclaiming the gospel wherever we are Mm. the link for me started when when i first surrendered at 21 which was 46 years ago gave my my age away but um, (laughs) I made a commitment to go to the nations Hmm. and I was heading in that direction, but I clearly felt a call from God to stay. But in that call, I sensed that God wanted his, the faults he gave me was if you'll keep your heart near me, I have a plan for you unto the nations. And so when my wife, Susan and I started a Bible study in November of 1977, uh, a, a year or so later, as the church was beginning to grow, uh, Washington, D.C. made an agreement with our community, Antioch, Metropolitan Nashville, that we would become a settling ground for refugees. When I saw that on the news, the, the Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, I'm going to bring the nations to you. And so we coined a phrase in our church, we want to be a church of the nations mm-hmm. unto the nations. And so now on a, on a particular Sunday now at Lighthouse with our school and church facilities, we, we will have eight different nationality churches meeting on our grounds. Hmm. That's not inclusive of, like for the Lao people, for example, they were the first refugees. And those, so that became my first mission trips to the country of Laos. Hmm. As you may have heard the story of the boat people. And when the communists swept into the country of Laos, many had to flee. All of those that had 
worked with the American soldiers in the Vietnam War. The edict was put out to kill to kill any soldier, anyone that had served with America. Mm-hmm. And so just volumes of thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of families had to flee Laos. And one of the settling grounds for those was here in Antioch. 3,000 families came here and starting in 1978-79. Now, here we are 39 years later, 40 years later, mm-hmm. there are 17 loud churches in our area wow. within a 50-mile radius and several thousand believers that attend those churches on Sunday morning. Hmm. I started within a year or so going back sort of underground, undercover, going into the country of Laos to help the suffering church there. And there's where my actual ministry or Lighthouse's ministry or church's ministry with me, through me, began Hmm. into the country of Laos. And so through the years, you know, you're listening to a brother that I have buried 18 of my Timothys. Hmm. Their blood was shed. Um, for the for the gospel of Jesus, and mm. a part of uh, the birthing of compassion and hope was to take care of their widows and their mm. their sons and their daughters. You know, even as we you and I are talking today, you know, we have a brother that's been in prison now for five months. Mm. Uh, within the last two weeks, I'm aware of three different locations where families, seven families, or three families, or two families, are being exiled required to leave their villages unless they denounce the person of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So I've considered it, Brad, such a great privilege to wash the feet of the persecuted church in this region of the world. And again, when I use the word I, I want to clarify that there is no I in in the work of God. It's all only a we. Hmm. Uh, we're co-laborers together with God. Yeah. And I wish that our ch- our churches and our and our missional communities could really understand this, that the real power of God upon the church of, in, in the book of Acts rested upon them because of their, they understood their oneness in Christ, hmm. and they practiced that oneness and that unity in building the kingdom yeah. and, seeing, and spreading the gospel. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that, those are profound realities and wonderful realities mm-hmm. even as as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote to suffer you know we worship a suffering Christ and to yes and so suffering is to be expected but yes. it also means joy and gladness yes I remember once setting bread with three young brothers in Christ and when I first started, they called me older brother, and then I went from there to spiritual father, and now from there to grand, they call me now uh, grandfather, hmm. and they're the spiritual grandfather. But I was sitting with three young men, and we were trying to figure out a way that they could possibly continue to share the gospel and not go to prison. Hmm. And we couldn't find a way. Hmm. And they asked me, they said, Papa Al, should we stop sharing the gospel? And I said to them, I can't answer that no. I certainly can't answer that no. And I certainly can't tell you yes. I said, that's between you and God. But I know that God is 
called us to share the gospel. And then they smiled and looked at me and said, you know, we, the answer to the question is yes, Papa, we can't stop sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, yes. And they saw the worried look on my face, the, mm-hmm. the deeply concerned look. And one of them threw a translator, put his hand on my shoulder and said, Papa, we know you love us. Don't worry. We have eternal life. Mm. We will be okay. Mm. I've learned so much about surrender and what's valuable and what's important and God's eternal perspective on things by serving and walking with part of my journey with the suffering body of Christ. Mm. It's a great thing that I treasure. And I personally, I fight, Brad, honestly, I fight. How do I live in in America? You know, I have a, a few acres of land and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a home and I have a, a car. How do I live here with all of this stuff mm. and not let it have me? How can I possess the things of the world, but they not possess my heart. And that's something that daily I ask God to really help me with internally, mm-hmm. is to live life with open hands and cleave to nothing but to Him and His and the gospel and His, and his kingdom work. Wow. That's so good. That's such a good challenge for probably most of our, of our listeners. I know it's a good challenge. Uh, for me, because I think it's it's so easy to to get concerned with the cares of this world, mm-hmm. particularly the and most of the cares of this world are attached to the, the stuff, just stuff and right. and I think to to have that view of of the kingdom of God, to have that view of Jesus, of the great privilege it is to live out the gospel uh, in every every moment of life and to live it in community, but also to know that that Jesus calls us to to come and die and, and to live in hope and joy, knowing that what he's given us can't be taken away. Mm. And that gives us some immense courage to, to cross all sorts of cultural or linguistic boundaries, socioeconomic boundaries where we live and abroad. And it even gives us patience to know that the kingdom of God mm-hmm. is going to advance over decades, not just yes. over months. Or weeks, or you know, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Brad, one of the uh, heart purposes uh, that I, I I believe came out of God's heart for these homes of hope that we have. Let me describe a home of hope, and then I'll tell you this heart purpose. I, I want you yeah. to picture, if you would, what was in Paul's heart when he went into Corinth or when he went into Philippi, and his heart was to establish a gospel center. This is the gospel bringing people into Christ and that they would begin to live the gospel and then proclaim the gospel. So when we think of a home of hope, we think of a gospel center. If you want to picture it in your mind, see a boy's home with 20 boys that have been rescued and a girl's home with 20 girls that have been rescued and then see a local church Hmm. being planted uh, so you have boys home, girls home, a local church. And so it's not only rescuing uh, the least of these, uh, but it's also church planting and, and they're growing and maturing, but it's beginning to reach out and spread the gospel 
and make disciples and plant churches. So this becomes a gospel center. And this was the heart that God, God put into my heart. That often, especially smaller churches, smaller missional communities and gatherings in America are asking the question, how can we become involved meaningfully, effectively, fruitfully involved in a work among the nations. Hmm. And so when we established these homes of hope, one of our strategies was to try to, to find local churches or local gatherings or local missional communities in America who would like to embrace one of these homes of hope. Hmm. And they would embrace them at, at, the, at a heart level of love they would embrace them in, in praying, and they would also embrace them with, with financial support. But they also would embrace that home of hope with the, the hope of, of going, sending a team over perhaps once a year, and, and working with the leadership in that home of hope, working with those kids and building relationships with them. And if I've learned anything about discipleship, true discipleship is more heart-to-heart and life-on-life and the greatest thing that someone brings into another person's life is your presence. Mm. Truly being present with them, truly caring about them, finding ways for, that you can meaningfully wash their feet as well as wash their soul and their spirit through the Word of God. Uh, so uh, a part of God's heart with these homes of hope was to enable the church in America to facilitate a relationship with that, uh, a church in America to enable them, even if they're a smaller church, to be meaningfully, fruitfully, and effectively involved in one community on the other side of the world, church planting, disciple-making, rescuing, great commission, great commandment. And you know, I can share thousands of stories of the kinds of kids that are in these homes that would, would bring you to tearful uh, joy that, hmm. that they could be rescued out of what they've, they've been involved in and now have a home, have love, have care, have food, have education, have Christ, hmm. and have hope and have a future. I love that that reality of, of what Compassionate Hope is doing and, and, and how it's just so much bigger. It's both bigger than, which is hard to fathom bigger than just making disciples and it's bigger than just loving the least of these it's it's both of that together and it's bigger than just doing sponsoring someone some far off but it's you're calling uh churches or communities or missional communities to even own own that sort of partnership uh with each of these homes to see that kind of life on life discipleship really happen globally it's so beautiful and i would hate to to not ask this question of how can like someone's listening and they're their community leader or their pastor like like what can they do to become part of this and see you know step into that all they would need to do Brad is to uh, communicate with us and 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 an interest if they they can go to our website www.compassionatehope.org they can go to go to the website and simply just send us a message or an email and either myself or a couple on our team will reach out to them and we just begin a conversation. Mm. Uh, we're very, we're very relational and uh, we're, we're really praying for those that God would spark their heart to put an interest. 
and then let's start let's start a, a spiritual conversation hmm. uh, let's start seeking God uh, because you know we really are looking for those who are serious about investing their life somewhere on the other side of the world in the life of great of the least of these great commandment great commission and wouldn't it be wonderful you just think about this Brad if every church in America could become meaningfully involved in, in a community somewhere else in the world and and that community would be different and in 10 years 15 20 years that community may have churches and hundreds of believers Hmm. because the church in America cared enough to go live and proclaim and share the gospel among them. One of the things I say to pastors that I, another mistake I see churches making, sometimes they're supporting 10, 15, 20 locations around the world and they're doing right. $50 a month or $100 a month. And I say to churches, become more like a high-powered rifle. Don't think shotgun. Right. Think like a high-powered rifle where your people can actually get hearts in, hands in, feet in to somewhere else uh, in the world and into the into the gospel ministry. Mm-hmm. And Compassion Hope Foundation, that is a part of God's calling to us, is to serve the church in America uh, by shepherding their shepherds some and helping them to find um, this kind of meaningful, effective, fruitful missional work. Uh, on the other side of the world. I love that. And I I hope that people really do take that up. And and I know that there's the the thing that we promote a lot on this website is everyday mission. And and we want to see our whole world saturate, saturate with the gospel so that every woman, man, and child in the world would have a a daily encounter with God's people. And, and I think that that, Mm -hmm. that definitely starts in your neighborhood and we need to think that way, but it also, it goes to the very ends of the world. I, I'm really convinced, Brad, that it's not an either or. If mm-hmm. you follow Jesus, you'll be meaningfully involved somewhere locally in kingdom work, but you'll also be meaningfully involved somewhere internationally in mm-hmm. kingdom work. I believe that deeply in my heart. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. I think that's that's exactly the call of every believer, and so those leading them uh, and leading disciples. That's such a big piece that that I want people to be taking away from this episode, thinking and praying about that, and entering in those those spiritual conversations of what would God call us to do to think about not just the person next door, but but the ends of the earth, and and this partnering with Compassionate Hope is such a great way to do that sort of holistic gospel ministry. Uh, so I really hope that people uh, explore those conversations with you guys or, or whatever else uh, might be put in front of you and to be very focused in that. So. Mm. We sure would, we sure would be delighted to speak with anyone that has an interest in joining hands and hearts with one of these uh, gospel centers, one of these homes of hope on the other side of the world. Well, praise God. And uh, yeah, thank you so yes. much, Al, for, for coming and sharing so much of your story and wisdom. I've been really encouraged by it. I know so many people will be as well. And and just, yeah, such a clear kindred spirit to, to even what we're trying to do uh, as we live out the gospel in, in Los Angeles and even what I hope 
the sort of things that I can be sharing about after 30 more years of ministry. So uh, thanks so much, Al. <laughs> it's been my joy, Brad. Thank you and uh, for, for letting us uh, be a part of working together in the kingdom in this kind of way. God bless you. Bless you too. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.